Right. Any of that ever happened in your household? Probably not. Yeah, it probably does. So that's why you need to come to our marriage conference. All right. Hey, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. And uh, we're going to continue in our sermon series uh, for the summer called Get Smart. And uh, we're going to begin in the book of Proverbs. Uh, turn with me to chapter 22 is uh, where we will start in the book of Proverbs. Uh, today we're just looking at three Proverbs. So it shouldn't be too hard to, to find them in your Bible. If you uh, don't have your own Bible, uh, turn in your pew Bible to page 529. And that should get you where you want. And if you don't have access to either of those, uh, the text should be up on the screen. And so uh, as you're flipping there, I want to remind you where we've been and where we're going. Uh, today we are in part four, I believe, of our uh, summer series called Get Smart on the Wisdom of the Book of Proverbs. Now Proverbs is all about uh, wise, godly living, and so it instructs us in a whole myriad of uh, areas in our life as to how to live out in our, our lives in a, in a godly manner. Uh, in part one, Herb taught us about the fear of the Lord, and then in part two we looked at what the book of Proverbs had to say about the subject of alcohol. And then last week we looked at the subject of friendship, and today we find ourselves in the subject of parenting. And so that's what we're going to be, parenting part four of Get Smart, and uh, we will hear what God's Word has to say about wise living as parents. And so um, that's where we're going to be. I assume that you're there in Proverbs chapter 22, and uh, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll dive right in this morning. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it is uh, wholly inspired. Thank you that it is wholly reliable and trustworthy, and thank you that it is uh, without uh, error or flaw, and that all of the words that you have preserved for us in your Old and New Testaments, we can trust them, and that they speak uh, not just uh, mere human words, but divine words through human authors. And we're very grateful that they have not only been delivered to us, but they've been preserved throughout the years, throughout the centuries, in a way that's most marvelous and and magnificent and trustworthy. And so when we come to Proverbs or any uh, of your word, we come to your very word to us. The God who created the heavens and the earth and the entire universe and created us. You desire to communicate with us and you spoke through your prophets of old and through many gifted and wise men and women and you spoke your word to us. And so we humbly bow, acknowledging that this is not just a human philosophy, but this is what you would have for us in, in the, the area of parenting. So I pray for those of us who are parents. I pray for those of us who have been parents and now are grandparents and who are helping their kids along. Uh, I pray for children as they hear the role of their mom and their dad that they would come to understand what it is that your desire is for them uh, to be obedient to their mom and dad as your word teaches and to follow their instruction and, and, and godly examples. And so teach us, we pray. Give us humble hearts. Help us to be willing to hear your word and then to apply in our hearts and lives. We need your help. Holy Spirit, come. um, Help me to speak truth and not error. Guard my lips that I might speak that which is helpful and truthful and not in error. And I pray that you would open the ears of my listeners, that they would be your listeners, and that they would uh, glean from your word what it is that you would have for them. And so we love you. We thank you for the cross of Christ that gives us access to you. We thank you that you loved us enough to send your very son into this world to become uh, a human virgin born and to live a life of perfect obedience to you in thought and in mind. Jesus, you never sinned. You never did what you were not supposed to do and you never failed to do what you were. You are perfect. You are our God, both God and man. You are our substitute because you lived what we could never live and you died the death that we deserved, bearing the wrath of your Father so that we might be born again, that we might have the Holy Spirit, that we might be new people and empowered and forgiven and transformed. Jesus, thank you for that. 
Help us to be transformed parents and help us to be wise and obedient children enabled by the gospel. We pray it in Christ's name and God's people said, amen, amen. I ran across an interesting article entitled Murphy's Laws of Parents. And I don't know if you've heard of the concept of Murphy's Law. I think most of us have. But Murphy's Law essentially says that anything that can go wrong, what? Will go wrong. Excellent. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And I ran across an interesting article that a woman wrote by the name of Murphy's Laws of Parenting. And so I just want to read a a few of them to you. Uh, Some of her Murphy's Laws of Parenting. Number one, there is no such thing as child-proofing your house. Very true. Uh, A four-year-old's voice is louder than 200 adults in a crowded restaurant. Ever been there before? I have. If you hook a dog to a leash over a ceiling fan, the motor is not strong enough to rotate a 42-year-old boy wearing pound puppy underwear and a Superman cape. (laughs) Hope your son has never done that. When you hear the toilet flush and the words, "Uh uh-oh, it's already too late. (laughs) A magnifying glass can start a fire even on an overcast day. Kids don't get any ideas. Legos will indeed pass through the digestive tract of a four-year-old girl. (laughs) Play-Doh and microwave should never be used in the same sentence. Yeah, I haven't tried that. Always look in the oven before you turn it on. And last, the spin cycle on the washing machine does not make earthworms dizzy. It will, however, make cats dizzy. Kids, don't get any bright ideas, okay? Well, those are her Murphy's Laws of Parenting. What we're going to see this morning is not Murphy's Laws of Parenting. We're going to see God's Laws of Parenting. That is, what does God have to say in the wisdom book of Proverbs about what wise and godly parenting looks like? Um, Really, there are two things that the book of Proverbs tells parents to do about wise parenting. There are several passages on parenting, maybe in the range of 8 to 10, but most of them basically fall under two categories, under two things about wise parenting. And so uh, we'll just read a few of those, but wise parents do a couple things. Two main points, right? Jot these down. Number one, wise parents train. Wise parents train their kids. And then number two, wise parents discipline their kids. That's essentially what Proverbs has to say about being a wise parent. You train your kids and you discipline your kids, okay? It should be pretty easy. Let's look at the first one, God's law of parenting. The first law that God gives us for parenting is that wise parents train their kids. They train their kids. Let's read together uh, from the word of God, Proverbs 22, 6. Uh, It says this. I'll read it from the screen. Train a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. And so that's the very first principle. The first thing a wise parent does is wise parents train their kids. I want to give a quick caveat here. We've talked about this. Herb shared with us that Proverbs are not promises. That is, some of God's word are absolute promises. And so when we obey them, there's a promise result. Proverbs are not exactly that. They're wisdom sayings. They're general truths. And so a brief caveat before we talk about training a child in the way that he or she 
should go. This text says that generally speaking, most of the time when godly parents train their kids in the way that they should go, the end result most of the time is that when they get older, they will not stray from that. Now, I think we all know people, whether they're friends or relatives or cousins or uncles, that they were godly Christian people and they did their very best by God's grace to train their kids in in the way that is, is Christian. And when they're old, some of them do depart from that. This is not a promise, it's a principle. And so with that being said, the the overarching command, the thrust here, is the very first word, and it's the verb, train. Proverbs teaches us to train our children. Well, what does that mean? How do we do that? Let me make a few comments. Essentially, when you do some study, you find out that the word train uh, can be translated to dedicate. And so when you think about the idea of dedication, in the Old Testament, this very same word is used of dedicating a house to the Lord, that is to the Lord's purposes. It's used of dedicating the temple itself uh, to, to the glory and honor and service of God. And so to some degree, it has the idea of setting this child aside for the purpose of godly behavior, for the purpose of following God, right? So it has the idea of dedicating them, setting them aside for a purpose. It also includes the idea of narrowing or hedging the child toward a desired path. So think of it this way. Think of it as your child, when they're born, uh, they stand, and in front of them is a myriad of paths, let's say roads. There's a whole web, a whole network of different paths. And so a path goes this way, and a path goes that way, and a path goes this way, and a path goes that way. And if you go this path, then from there it goes this way, and that way, and that way. You get the idea, right? There's a whole limitless possibilities of roads of lifestyles of uh, decisions that your child can make when they're born. And what this text, the idea of training them, it has the idea of narrowing down or hedging them towards a particular road because you don't want them to go on this road or this road or this road. The way of the Lord is this road. Does that make sense? And so you hedge in the child so that he or she walks down the path of godliness. That's essentially what it means to train a child. Um, Dr. Constable, I think, sums it up well when when he says this. He says, child training involves narrowing a child's conduct away from evil and towards godliness and starting him off in the right direction. That's what it means to train a child. And so notice the, 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 the imperative here is to train. We narrow them towards a, a specific path of godly living. And, and the, the rest of the verse really fleshes this out. Notice what it says. Train a child in the what, church? In, in the way, right? Train the child in the way that he should go. And so there is a particular path that we want our children to go. Um, I, I've done a bit of a study here, and uh, sometimes it's, it's popular, and a possible translation that this verse means that we should train or narrow our child in the way that he should go, meaning in according to their personality or according to their preferences, according to um, their natural bents, right? According to the way that God has made them. And so we should recognize, well, this child is an introvert and not an uh, extrovert. This child enjoys outrovert. I'm pretty sure that's a word. It should be if it's not. Intro, outro, I'm going to make Trey's Webster's, uh, Trey's Webster's Dictionary. Anyways, he's an introvert, not a 
Extrovert, right? Okay. Uh, the child enjoys sport or the child enjoys music, right? So, so one possible translation is that just kind of know your child and direct him in that way. Um, that's a possibility here, but I, all of the evidence points us that that's not really what it's talking about here, although that's wise and godly parenting to do that. What the, the emphasis of this verse here is train the child according to the way or the path, which if you read through the, the book of Proverbs, you'll find out that almost exclusively the way or the path describes a lifestyle, the path that they should go, the way that they should go. This is not talking about the child's bent. It's talking about their decisions. It's talking about the kind of life that they choose to lead, whether godly or ungodly. And the promise is, excuse me, the principle is, is that if we train that child towards the path of godliness, more than likely, when they get older, they'll take it for themselves and they'll walk that way. And so the first thing we've seen is that wise parents... We train, we train our kids, we narrow them towards the path of godliness. So practically speaking, uh, I'm a parent, and I've got two kids, and Lord willing, we'll have more. Don't read into that, <laughs> but we'd like more kids, and I want to know how I should train my, my children. How do I do that? Uh, helpfully, we have a lot of good resources uh, to help us here, and, and one of those good resources is the Family Life uh, Organization. Dennis Rainey, who heads that up, suggests a, a couple ways, uh, according to this verse, that we can train our children. He suggests, number one, jot these down, we, we train, we, wise parents train their kids by, number one, by personal instruction. Wise parents train their kids by personal instruction, and number two, by personal example. Personal instruction and personal example. Let's talk about the first. Wise parents train their children by personal instruction. I'll, I'll read this quote. Uh, Dennis Rainey says, first, first, parents, make a commitment to be involved in teaching your child character through personal instruction. So there's the words. This means actively, actively teaching them the scriptures, establishing limits in his or her life, affirming right choices and correcting him when he makes mistakes. It also means contrasting what the world says with what the Bible teaches. And so, first of all, he says, make a commitment to personal instruction. And then he says, second, make a commitment to modeling. That is personal example. Make a commitment to modeling the character traits you are teaching your child. Listen to what he says here. It gets me every time. For you will never take your child beyond what is evident in your own life. I'll read that again. You will never take your child beyond what is evident in your own life. So if you want your child to be generous and you yourself are not generous, guess what? Your child most likely will not be generous. And so personal instruction, what does this look like? Uh, First of all, we give moral instruction. That is, quite simply, we teach them right from wrong, right? From very early on as parents, we should be involved in instructing our parents, excuse me, our children on right from wrong, how to act, right? And so godly behavior, we applaud. Asher, great job. You were very generous in sharing that toy with your neighbor. We applaud correct behavior and we correct sinful behavior. We'll talk about discipline here in a minute. So we tell them when we catch our kid lying, Susie hit me and Susie didn't really hit him. We instruct them that lying is not what God wants. Uh, We encourage them to share generously, right? Right? 
What a wonderful job. You gave your whole allowance to church this morning. That's wonderful. We teach them that complaining is wrong. And so when they say, I'm so bored this summer, we instruct them that the Bible says that training is not a godly path, right? That that complaining is, is not right. We say, hey, saying nice things to people is right while cutting them down is wrong, right? So you get the, the, what I'm saying here. We teach them morals, right and wrong. And here's an exercise that I want to challenge us, myself included as a parent, to do. Something to think about. Have you ever considered what kind of morals you would like your kids to have before they fly the nest at 18? Because at some point, at 18, 19, 20, 25, 26, 27, right? At some point, your kid will leave and they will be independent and you want them to walk away from your household with godly biblical convictions about what is right or wrong. But think about this. What specifically do you want them to walk away with? I mean, have you ever thought about it? Have you ever had a conversation with your spouse and said, what do we really want them to value? I mean, what morals do we want them to have? Because if we're not aiming for anything, then inevitably, church, you get what? Nothing. You get nothing. So in the back, I've given you, uh, Gary, I think we'll we'll give them in the back or on your way out, um, an article, 40 Lessons We Sought to Teach Our Children. Again, from Dennis and Barbara Rainey. I found this extremely helpful for you to begin to think about being intentional with your spouse about the morals that you want your kids to walk away with. Here's just a few that they listed. Grab that on your way out. Number one, they wanted to teach their kids to respect authority. So he says, we want them to trust and obey us as their parents, to to respect authority. Number two, to be in love with Jesus and focus on their relationship with him. And so they said, that's paramount. We want them to love Jesus. Number three, uh, view life through God's agenda, the great commission and the great commandment. So they want their kids to think about life and what the purpose of life is from a biblical perspective. Number four, uh, give thanks to God in all things. And then number five, tame your selfishness. You can't always get your way. We're working on that in our household right right now, both uh, with our children and uh, myself. You know, we can't always get our way. But those are just a few suggestions. Pick that up. There are 40 of them. And talk with your spouse and say, what do we really want them to walk away with when they leave. And so number one, by personal instruction, we train them on moral instruction, but we also give them mental instruction. We not only train them in what is right and what is wrong, but we train them to think rightly and to view the world from what I would call a a biblical worldview. That is, we want them to think about who God is rightly, and we want them to think about how they live the Christian life rightly and we want them to think about who they are and who other people are rightly and we want them to think about subjects rightly do you understand what i'm saying not only right and wrong but about beliefs about theology we want them to think rightly about who they are and so consider this a secondary exercise have you ever walked away i mean talked with your parents talked with your spouse and said what is it that we want our children to believe when they walk away. I mean, what's really significant that they walk away with? What biblical truths do we want them to not stray from when they're older? The Trinity, justification by faith alone, doctrine of the Holy Spirit, being saved by grace. I mean, what, what is it? What is it that you want them to think about? 
And how do you do that? Well, there's a whole myriad of ways that we can do that. But quite simply, if you have young kids like I do, I think the best thing you can do is read the Bible to them, right? Read your kids the Bible when they are in the young stages. Because, uh, and there are a lot of good kids' Bibles. There are a ton of good children's Bibles that are engaging. Um, They're not boring, even though my son on occasion gives me his little King James version. And he says, Daddy, would you read the Bible to me? And it's the little King James, and I translate it, you know? I'm like, okay, here's what's happening. And he likes that, and I love that. Read the Bible with your kids, because inevitably, if your kid is paying attention, what will most likely happen is they will have questions. Uh, One of the things that I value and I enjoy the most is story time at our house, because around for Asher, I don't know, uh, 7.30 or so, we try to sit on the couch and we, and we read our Bible. And so he gets his kid Bible and I read to him and inevitably he stops me uh, maybe three or four times in a, in a matter of minutes and he has questions. He wants to know about does God live in heaven and he wants to know how Jesus is God and we can see Jesus but not God the Father. He's got wonderful questions and when you read and they ask questions, you know what you're doing? You're training your kids. You're training your kids to think rightly and to understand the Bible. When they get older, consider something like family devotionals. We never did this as a family, but I think it would be a wonderful thing to do as we get older, when our kids kind of grow out of the story time. Maybe at dinner time, let's just, dads, step it up. Lead a family devotional. You can get all sorts of good books. You can read along. You can read the scriptures. They'll tell you what to say and how to engage your kids. But spend five minutes when you're around the dinner table engaging your kids, training them to think about life rightly. And then when they get older, encourage them to to do their own Bible study. Get them a teen study Bible. Get them something that's age appropriate for them to work through to help them learn. And in doing so, you do number one, you train your kids through personal instruction. But not only do we train our kids through personal instruction, we train our kids through personal example. You know, as it said, uh, more is caught than what? taught. More is caught than taught. And I think that's mostly true because we can inform our kids, but what they're going to learn from most, I think, is what we do as parents, the examples that we set. And so if we instruct them that, Johnny, it's wrong to lie about what you did in school, and you're instructing them, but then they catch you having a conversation with your spouse, they saw what happened, and you leave stuff out. You don't tell your spouse the entire truth. You know what you're teaching them? That lying is okay. Because more is caught than taught. And so, for instance, we also not only want to teach them that lying is wrong, but we want to teach them about generosity. We want to uh, affirm being generous with your toys is wonderful when you share it with your neighbors. But when they they say, hey, mommy and daddy, what do you, you know, other people are are, are putting money and, and checks in the plate. Why aren't you? You're teaching them to be ungenerous. You're teaching them to be stingy and selfish. Or when they see other people giving to somebody who has a need and and you are not, then that's what you're teaching them to do. When we tell them, son, don't complain. I know you're bored, but I don't want to hear for the hundredth time that it's boring during the summer. And yet uh, they overhear you constantly complaining about your work, about your job, about your coworkers, about your boss. Guess what they're learning? They're learning that complaining is okay because more is caught than taught. I want to share a quick example here, and I'm ashamed to admit it because it's more a negative example about what not to do, but how this works uh, in my life. Sometimes when Asher or Piper, but mostly it's my son, sometimes he'll be in a grumpy mood and 
Asher, it's okay, buddy. You're usually not. But sometimes you're in a grumpy mood, and uh, as a parent, you kind of, you take it, you take it, you take it, you take it, and then you kind of get fed up. At least I do, okay? I get fed up, and so it's happened in the past where he is whining or fussing or, or doing something, and I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just, that's it. And I'll say, Asher, just stop it. You know, he's crying, he's fussing, just stop it. You know, those are the words that I say. And, uh, you know, in the moment I think, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I I said it angrily, you know. So I say that. And then, uh, just recently, Piper was very grumpy. She was crying. I think it was in the car. And she would not stop crying. She was crying. She was tired. She was hungry. Who knows, right? And and she's crying. And then I hear my two-year-old say, guess what? Piper, just stop it. And he yelled at her. And my heart broke. (laughs) Because I knew that I had taught him by my poor example when he was fussy and when he was uncontrollable and I said, just stop it. He picked it up. He picked it up and he's doing that to his sister. And I said, dear God, forgive me and help me because I want to train my children well. God, help me. And so we train our kids. Number one, wise parents train their kids by personal example and by personal instruction. That's the first law of parenting. The second law of parenting is found in Proverbs 19. So if you have your Bibles, just flip to the left just a little bit. Proverbs 19, 18 is the second text we're going to look at. Proverbs 19, 18. And there we see the first of what is kind of two principles under the second law of parenting. And the second law of parenting is this. Not only do wise parents train their kids, but wise parents discipline their kids. Wise parents discipline their kids. We're going to look at just a couple verses here. There are several verses in Proverbs about discipline. I've chosen just two. One of the things that I found most interesting is as I started to look at the idea of discipline in the book of Proverbs is I thought it would focus more on the method. That is, do you spank? Do you do the mention of the rod? You know, how, how do you discipline? I thought I would kind of get some practical instruction there, but most of all, what Proverbs focuses on is not so much the method, but the reason. Uh, that is, the motives. Why is it? Why do we discipline our kids. Now, there is certainly talk about how. Uh, there's, I mean, it, it mentions it, but the thrust of it is answering the question, why? As parents, why is it wise for us to discipline our kids? And I'll just give you a couple of reasons that I think are most prominent in the book of Proverbs. And the first one is found in 1918, and that's this. Reason number one, why do wise parents discipline their kids? It's because discipline protects them. Jot that down if you're taking notes. Discipline protects them from the dangers of sin. Notice what Proverbs 19.18 says. Proverbs 19.18 says this, Discipline your son. Discipline your son. Why? For in that there is hope. Do not, and this is, I think, saying, if you don't discipline your son, do not be a willing party to his death. Do not be a willing party to his death. And so the first reason why we discipline our kids is to protect them. We are protecting them from the consequences of their own sin. (laughs) We are protecting them from the consequences of their own poor decision-making. Notice what the text says. Discipline your son. Okay, there it is. For in that there is hope. Well, what does that mean? That is, there's hope that you will teach them to make wise and godly decisions and therefore keep them from death, keep them from destruction, keep them from literally, in some cases, destroying themselves. If you can train them on the right path, then you will keep them from a host of painful issues and painful experiences if you train your kids. There's hope. 
There's hope for them when they get older. But if you don't, notice what it says. You will be a willing party. What is a willing party? A willing party means I join with that person. I agree with them. I'm, I'm willing to participate in that. Do not be a willing party to his death. What that means is, is that if we don't discipline our children, we're saying, I know that the, the decisions that you might make in the future will lead to all sorts of death and destruction, and I'm okay with it. That's what you're saying. I'm okay with it. You can make your own lifestyle choices. You can do your own thing, and whatever destruction it leads to, whatever pain, whatever emotional scars, whatever destruction it leads to, it's okay. Don't be a willing party to their death. So just a couple examples. It's wise and good for maybe if you have a teenage girl to be selective about who it is that they date or to be selective about where they go and when they get back. Uh, Teenagers, I know you don't want to hear that, but parents, it's very wise because you will protect them from a whole host of dangers. A whole host of dangers, emotional scars, teenage pregnancy, and the like. You are protecting them. You can protect a son from the danger of underage drinking or drug use by being wise about who you allow them to go places with on Friday night, on Saturday night, any night of the week. You're being wise and you're protecting them. And so the first thing, the first reason why wise parents discipline their kids is because you love them and you are protecting them from the danger that a child gone astray, a child make, making whatever decisions they want, it leads to what the Bible calls death and destruction. I want to read an article to you. A, a woman by the name of Trisha Goyer has written an article, and it's a helpful article. You can find it on Family Life. But the article's title is this, How to Ruin Your Kid for Life. You want to know how to ruin your kid for life? I do. I want to know how to do that, so I cannot do it. Um, And this is what she says, 10 ways to ensure that your child will not succeed. And so she's written these 10. One of them is about discipline. I'd like to read them all to you because they're helpful. So you want to ruin your kid? Here's how to do it. Number one, give your kid everything he or she wants. Don't deny what will truly make him happy. Just give them what they want. Number two, dress your child in designer clothes, no matter the cost. Show her that her outward appearance matters most of all. Number three, place your child's needs over those of your spouse. If she cries, run to her immediately. If she interrupts, give her your full attention, regardless of the conversation you were having with your spouse. Number three, entertain your child throughout the day. If she wants to watch her favorite TV show for the hundredth time, forget your plans for going on a walk or getting a nap. You can do that some other time. Number five, plan your menu around your child's desires. Ooh, this is a hard one, moms, isn't it? Plan your menu around your child's desires. If by chance you want to make something other than macaroni and cheese or peanut butter and jelly, feel free to do so, just as long as you have time to fix what your child really wants. Number six, sign your child up for as many extracurricular activities as he or she desires, even if it means giving up your evening on a regular basis. Don't worry about trying to gather around the dinner table. He or she can only be in the junior soccer league for so long, and you don't want them to miss out. Number seven, here's the discipline part. Don't discipline your child when she acts up. Everyone should learn to express himself or herself in in their own own way, and if they demand something, then applaud their effort. At least you know that they're not going to be a pushover. Number eight, don't worry when your child fights with the neighborhood kids or even when they're a bully. Life's not fair. Someone always has to be the underdog. 
Number nine, when your child has a disagreement with their teacher, always choose your child's side. The teacher will certainly want to take a course of disciplinary action, and that'll hurt your kid's feelings. And number 10, don't share your faith with your child, the whole personal instruction thing. After all, you don't want to offend them. I mean, let them decide if they want to hear Bible stories or if they don't, if they want to memorize verses or if they don't. And more than that, you don't want her to know that there's a God who runs the universe, makes the rules, and determines eternity. The thought is too hard, and your child, well, they may not quite understand. More than that, she won't be self-dependent and strive to be a good person. So if you want to ruin your, ch- your children, there's ten ways to do it, right? I don't know about you, but I find myself on that list quite often, right? Um, uh, and the point here is, discipline is one of those ways. So why do we discipline? Well, we protect them. And then secondly, we discipline because discipline demonstrates love. This is important for those of us who are compassionate, who are bent towards leniency, who um, find it hard to make a child cry. I'll admit, I'm in that state. So this is important for us to hear. Proverbs 13, flip backwards just a bit as we see the second reason discipline demonstrates love. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, He who spares the rod, what church? Hates. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who, what? Loves. But he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Essentially, what I want you to see is that it is not unloving to discipline your child in whatever way you choose to discipline them, but instead, it's the most loving thing that you can do. It says, if you choose not to discipline, actually, you hate them. You hate them. And we've seen why. Because lack of discipline is, uh, discipline is protecting them from their, themselves, essentially. And then notice, not only that, but it says that we should be diligent. This translation says careful. But be, di- be diligent, careful, I think it means consistent without wavering throughout their life. Parents, this is hard, is it not, to be consistent in discipline? And so when you make the rules and they break it, you discipline them the first time, and when they do it the second time, you, well, okay, that's okay, circumstances are different, you're not consistent. My wife is wonderfully consistent. I'm pitifully inconsistent. And so this is good for me to remember that we have to be careful to be diligent to consistently do this and not just let them get away with things, bending the rules here and there, but have a consistent plan for disciplining your child. And doing so, parents, you love them. You're loving them. And so we've seen a couple things. We've seen two laws, God's laws of parenting. They're not Murphy's laws, they're God's laws. Number one, wise parents train their kids. Number two, wise parents discipline their kids. And that is what Proverbs has to say about the subject of parenting. And so as we close, I want to remind us about something. We've been talking about parenting, about being a good father, about being a good mother. And I have to think about the, uh, the parallels here because when we turn, and we're not going to turn there, but if you ever read through the book of Hebrews and chapters 12, uh, we see that God calls himself a father, and he is a good father who disciplines his sons, that is his, his, his spiritual sons and daughters, his children through faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we see is that as we look at good kids, who, good parents who train their kids, and good parents who discipline their kids, do you know what we're doing? We're acting like God the Father. God is called a father for a whole host of reasons. And one of the reasons is, is because good daddies train their kids and good daddies discipline their kids. That's exactly what God does. 
And so I want to close our time this morning by asking if you know God as your Father. The Bible says that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all God, three in one. And the Bible says that at, at the Father's request that everything in the world was created, including me and you, and that the Son was a willing participant. In fact, he uh, was the agent of creation. And if you remember back in Genesis 1, the, spirits hovered, oh, the Spirit hovered over the water. And so God the Father created the world through his Son and through the Spirit to know his creation. And he created Adam and Eve to love, to know, to care for, to be in relationship with, and for them to worship him. The Bible goes on to say that though Adam and Eve were sons and daughters of God, that they rebelled against him. They didn't like what their daddy was doing. They didn't like that their daddy put rules. In fact, he only put one, just one. Imagine that, kids. One rule, (laughs) right? Just one, and they broke it. They didn't like it. They thought that he was being unfair. They thought that he was being an unkind daddy and holding out on his kids. And so they disobeyed him. And the Bible says that from then on, that all of humanity, me, you, everyone, that we were no longer sons and daughters of God, but that we were sons and daughters of the evil one, of the snake, of the serpent who brought sin and death into existence. And that when we are born, we are not born his children. Church, please hear me. We are not born into the family of God. We are born again into the family of God. We are not born his sons. We are born again his sons. And we were not born his daughters. We are born again his daughters. The scriptures consistently, always, they say that because of that sin, we were separated and he, we were estranged from our daddy, so to speak. We were estranged from him, but he loved us. He loved us enough to send his own son to live a life of perfect, perfect obedience that we could never live, to take the penalty for our rebellion, for us saying, forget you, daddy. We deserve death and hell forever. And the Bible says that Jesus took that for us because he loved us and he rose from the dead to affirm that. And the Bible says that if we simply believe that, and if we place our faith in what Jesus has done, not in what we could do, that we can, once again, be sons and daughters. So we weren't born sons and daughters. We are born again, sons and daughters of God, to know our Heavenly Father who will train us and who will discipline us for our good. And so do you know him today? Do you know your Heavenly Father? Do you have a personal relationship with him through his Son, Jesus Christ? If you don't, I invite you to come and talk with me and I will share with you how you can simply accept the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with your dad, how you can be born again and made a son and a daughter of our great daddy. Let's pray. Father, we're very grateful for the practical and very helpful truths that are in Proverbs. Father, uh, all of us, in some way, shapes, or forms, we are touched by parents. All of us have parents. Some of us are parents. Some of us will be parents. And uh, some of us are even grandparents. And we desperately need to know what it is to be a good daddy. Father, thank you that you are our heavenly father. Thank you that you are the best daddy of all. Thank you that you train us, you teach us, you instruct us, you give us uh, moral uh, right and wrong, you teach us by example, but above all, you uh, sent your son so that we can do that and we can know you. Thank you for that. 
Thank you that you discipline us as our great heavenly father. And I pray if there's someone here and they're hearing my voice and they would not say, uh, I know him, and that they would say, I don't know if I'm a son or if I'm a daughter of God. I don't know if I've been reborn or born again into the family of God as a son and daughter. I pray that you would prick their heart and I pray that they would confess that they have messed up and that they're sinners, that you love them and you sent your son and they believe that he lived and died and rose again for them and they receive that gift apart from anything they could do, a gift of grace, and that they would, for the first time, call you daddy and that they would, for the first time, call your son a brother. I pray that that would happen. We ask it in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Uh, At this point, I'm gonna ask Jay to hop on up. He's gonna give us a few closing announcements and then we'll rise for our closing blessing. So Jay, come on up and grab that mic and uh, give us a few announcements, if you will.